Hey everybody, it's Meryl Hathaway, and welcome back to The Lemon Grove. My guest for this episode is a buddy of mine from my favorite coffee bean and tea leaf here in Los Angeles, California, which, by the way, has the best crushed ice of any place I've ever gotten a drink from, especially a coffee place, because normally they don't crush their ice. Guys, it's chewable and delicious and just hard enough and just soft enough for your teeth. Anyway, Herschel Sparber is his name, and at six foot nine, you can't miss him. This man has done a million different roles in theater. You will often see him wearing his Guys and Dolls jacket. But I know him best as the big guy in the park from his moment in the birdcage with Robin Williams and Nathan Lane. While Nathan is trying to learn how to walk like a man, he accidentally runs into the very large Herschel who scares him off. He has so many credits, including many other theater roles, but he's also been on NYPD Blue, Boy Meets World, Two Broke Girls, a goofy movie, a million other things, and a ton of voiceover work. We're going to find out why Herschel now always has to have a flu shot, how he really became a miracle and the importance of hospital bed attachments for anyone who's anywhere close to six foot nine. Enjoy this next episode with Herschel Sparber. Hey, Herschel. Hey. Welcome to the podcast, buddy. Well, it's good to be here. <laughs> Given the subject, I'm glad to just I, that I could walk in on I, my own. Me too. <laughs> I'm thrilled. And actually, you walked in very well. You look good. Yeah, well, you, good. How are you feeling today? Feeling great. Yeah? yeah? Amazing. Tell me about what led, first of all, to you having the symptoms and everything that you did that started off your whole journey with medical. This journey for me has been a long, long, long journey. Yeah. Um, I was a competitive world-class athlete in several sports. Which sports were those? Um, well, I, I went through college on a basketball scholarship. Um, wow. Division NCAA Division II. I was drafted by the pros. Uh, Damn, I didn't know that. Yeah, and I, I also, when I was in law school, I played rugby, and I played rugby until I was 50. Wow. And I also box and do martial arts. But, and, you know, it's ironic that, you know, every morning my body and I have this conversation. <laughs> my, my body goes, hey, dumbass. <laughs> You, you wanted to be a tough guy? Here's what it costs. Yeah, what did you, you do that for? Be, you wanted to be Mr. Basketball? That's why you have no arches. Oh. Oh, you wanted to, you know, you wanted to box? That's why you can't breathe. You wanted to play rugby? That's why your shoulder creaks like a rusty gate every time you take a drink. You know, but anyway. Wow. So do you think, honestly, do you think that most of what you grapple with now is because of your physical activity, though? Uh, you know, I have the you know uh, the fact I get out of bed and creak that that's because of the physical activity. Yeah. I wouldn't have traded it for the world. The yeah. physical activity put me through college. You know it. Uh, you know I'm uh, come you know camaraderie the whole thing. You know? Yeah. Uh, what we're talking about though is something entirely different. Mm -hmm. As you know or may not know, I'm an actor. Or, or depends on who you ask, but I am an actor. Yes, you are. You are very much an actor, sir. Yeah. So. I don't know. Do you remember a show called Becker? Yeah. Yeah, I okay. do. I auditioned for that show five different times, went to producers five different times. Oh. Every time I did, they fell down laughing. I never booked it. Uh. So the sixth time, I'm in there, and it was on a Friday. And um, I got up in the morning, and I had what, uh, I thought, boy, I got a little bit of a fever, but maybe a cold. and eh. But I went in and auditioned. 
same thing. I mean, I was brilliant. They fell down laughing. I, I get I'm now the fever is beginning to get a little more. So I went into the Bob Hope, mm-hmm. and I said, you know, I think I got the flu. And Dr. Murray Heichman, God bless his soul, said, this looks like something more. He says, I'm going to put you on an antibiotic. He says, over the weekend, I want you to come back in Monday, but first we're going to take your blood, and then come back in first thing Monday morning. Well, all weekend, I had, you know, low to high-grade fever, chills, all so weekend I, long? All weekend long. Wow. So I, I go in on Monday morning, and Murray, Dr. Heichman, meets me, you know, says, meets me in the, in the waiting room, says, get immediately into your car or however you want to get there, go to Cedars, and go to the emergency room. Whoa. You have a staph infection. Oh, wow. The blood test had come back. Okay, know, so, okay, so tell, tell everyone who's listening, what exactly is a staph infection? Because I only ever hear of it when someone's usually already, like, so you can get it when you're already in the hospital. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, okay. Usually, what you usually get it from is some sort of puncture. Now, I have no idea. We never figured out what punctured me or why. But uh, the staff, you know, and the staff infection was what killed Jim Henson. I did not know remember that. Remember uh, when, when he got from the Muppets died? And, um, it, you know, it's serious by itself. But then at some point, it goes into what they call sepsis. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. that's that is that's your body basically shutting down basically right? shutting down yeah. and that's where i was oh my god so you were already in I, I walk up to the emergency room and he obviously called ahead because i said i'm herschel sparber next thing you know you know how usually you're, you're sitting there for weeks at a time oh yes they had a gurney they had me on the gurney bam into the back and the next thing i know i'm in intensive care <gasps> with you know the the ivs sticking out of everywhere and so forth and um oh my god they're giving me they uh, they're giving me iv injections of antibiotics seven times a day seven to okay so just to back up a little bit so you get to the hospital after being told, like, get there now, basically. Right. Absolutely. Uh, and your initial reaction in your head is what? God, this must be, you know, uh, this must be serious. But, uh, you know, I, I didn't feel that bad. You know, I was still, I was walking. I was talking. I was, you know, I had a fever. I thought it was, a, you know, I thought it was a very bad case of the flu. Right. But uh, you didn't expect that. No. And like I said, you know, uh, when, you, when, they wheel, when they're wheeling me into intensive care and i read it on the door intensive care you know and you're like i'm uh, awake guys i mean i'm okay so i was there for you know now the other thing is i'm six foot nine and weigh 270 pounds give or take he's a slight man i don't yeah i don't do well in hospital beds Mm -hmm. beds, you know and so one of the other things that happens when i'm in there is it throws my back out because you're in the hospital bed. Because I'm in a hospital bed, I you know it's God not. God damn it! Uh, <gasps> yeah, so. you can't win, man. The, They're yeah. like finally in a bed you know, that's so I, you know, far too small. Now I've got you know besides the IV, you know I'm t- I'm I'm the popping Vicodin to you know for, oh. the, for the pain in my back. Okay, so on the s- the second day I was in there, I get a visit. There's a knock on the door. 
It's the hospital's communicable disease specialist. Oi, not somebody you want in your room. And she comes in and she introduces herself, you know, and this is, I'm Dr. Whatever. And uh, I said, hi. She said, hi. She says, listen, um, you may want to call somebody in your family or some uh, next of kin. I said, what? She said, yeah, we don't know if you're going to live another 24 hours. Whoa. That was pretty much my reaction to it. (laughs) Now, uh, this is an administrator type person, right? Or like she's a specialty. She's a specialist. She's a specialist. She is the uh, communicable disease specialist. But was your doctor in the room? Did your doctor say, hey, so we have this person who needs to give you some information? Yeah. Okay. So they did kind of explain it. But either way, it was oh, no, a no, random that, no, person. No, she came in out of the blue. Yeah, yeah okay, that's yeah, what I mean. Yeah. Like, what yeah. is this? There's no lead up. There's no, like, support from the and doctor so, saying, here's the you, thing. As you can oh guess, the next 24 hours were probably the most exciting in my life. Uh, uh. But I, I firmly subscribe to the theory that I'm too stupid to die. <laughs> <laughs> and so <laughs> you can hit me with a hammer you can, you know, you can do almost all the, and over my life, I've pretty much proved it. You know, I have been, I've li- led this t- testosterone-driven life that probably should have killed me about a dozen times over. But why do you mean that you're too dumb to die? How does well, that mean you're too uh, dumb to die? Because anybody, you know, when somebody tells you you got 24 hours to live, anybody smart, you know, was it, okay, I guess so, and then would die. But I, you know. Your body's like, nah, let's just the hell out of me. All right, fighting this. And so, but. Um, after a while, they transferred me to a regular room, so I figured out I wasn't going to die. So no and one actually I, said, hey, I'm just still, so you know you're in the clear. I'm still getting the IV injections of antibiotics seven times a day. And then this goes on for three weeks. It's So I'm in Cedars for three weeks, so you, you can imagine how serious it is. Yeah, I mean... And finally... Uh, and then they bring, they take me in, and they put what I, they call a pick line in me. A pick line. Pick line. P I C. And that's when they basically take a tube and they stick it into a vein. And it's it's you know, and you become like uh, you become like the Borg. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's part of you. And then they attach. They then they feed the IV IV in, uh, injections of antibiotics through that pick line. So it goes through your whole body way faster, right? Way faster, basically, yeah. And so at the end of the three weeks, they say, "Good news." Oh, and, and now all this time, I can't. You know, my back is out. I can't. I'm I'm like a, I'm like the mummy. I'm like a cripple. I can't move. And oh. I keep saying, "Don't you have some kind of bed that we?" And um. I said, I'd be better off sleeping on the floor. And they said, well, you can't sleep on the floor. Well, I, I, I got out of bed and I laid down on the floor. And that's that became the battle between me and Nurse Ratchet. Oh, the head yes. Nurse, you can't be there. Well, I'm going to be there. You can't be there. I'm then going to be get there. me a better bed mm-hmm. that actually works for my body. One, all right. So eventually I ended up getting back in the bed, you know, because I'm, I'm not, I'm not in win. top form. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, all right, no, I need but to get up. But I'm laying there, and all of a sudden, I walk. But I see a guy walk by, and he's he's in one of those hospital coverall things. Mm-hmm. And on the back was bed specialist, 
And I went, hey, buddy. Oh, my gosh. You just saw him randomly. And, yeah. And oh he my came God. in. I said, well, you know, I explained my situation. And I said, you know, is there anything you do? He says, yeah, we got this thing. And there's evidently this pad that they put on the movable hospital beds that's firm, but it's it's jointed so that, you know, the, it comes. So, yeah. you know, I lay on that, and, and it's much better. But I, my back is still out. Okay. So, finally, after the three weeks. It's been three weeks. You've yeah. been in the hospital for three weeks. Three solid weeks. Oh, so after, after the three weeks, oh, oh, and cow. here's the best part. I'm in, I'm in there. I'm in the, I'm in intensive care. I've got my cell phone with me, and the cell phone rings. And it's my agent, and says, "Congratulations, you finally booked Becker." Shot. <laughs> I know, because I never got a chance to call him and tell him. Oh my gosh. So anyway, they hooked me up with this machine that hooks up to the pick line. Yeah. And it automatically three times, four times a day, injects this antibiotic into my body. And then I have to detach it three times a day and inject another antibiotic three times a day. So there I am wrapped up like, you know, and, but they said, now you can go home. So I, you know, I, I'm, I, there I am limping and, you know, with this, with this bed, you know, the, and I, plus the fact the staph infection had, I'd lost 30 pounds. I was going to ask about that. Yeah. Yeah. And I looked, I looked like death warmed over. The first thing I decided I wanted to do when I got home was go to the coffee bean and have a cup of coffee. No, it's yeah, not. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. So here I am limping, limping into the coffee bean with this machine taped to my arm, dragging one leg like Boris Karloff in The Mummy and emaciated and sitting there were two beautiful young girls and one of them looked at the other and went oh my god that poor man if i could have <laughs> i'd have walked out to hillhurst and thrown myself under a truck oh, this is what i finally oh, become no. oh, that poor man <laughs> the the infection was just eating my body alive that's what it's doing yeah oh my god yeah so so that's why there's so much medication throughout the day every day and you got to remember that you know we're talking about we you know you're talking about somebody who starts at about 280 pounds yeah so i'm still 250 so you have enough to lose like yeah, you, uh, your body can lose a, yeah it's a, a not certain amount it's and it not will... yeah it's not the way you want to lose that kind of weight but mm, yeah, no. i wouldn't advise the staph infection diet to anybody did they have anyone come so, I so you're in the hospital, and you obviously said, "I, I can't sleep." I ended sleep. up going to a chiropractor. I, you know, I work out. I, you know, I, yeah. very slowly, I got, I got everything back. In that time, did you have to have someone go pick up your mail? Did you have someone? Luckily, I have friends. I actually two friends. So you know that. Yeah. So you had fr- your friends. So you did. Were you able to call somebody? Have someone come visit you and check in, and right. then also go to your place. Right, right, right. So you had an advocate in some way. Yeah. Now with the nurse, though, with your going back and forth with that nurse, was it like you felt like you had to stand your ground? Absolutely. You know. And she was like, "This is not what we do." Right. And you're like, but this is what I need. Yeah. And she's like, but this isn't what we do. Yeah. I feel like that's what they always go back to. I had a trump card, however. You did? What was that? Yeah. The physician that was my primary care physician in the hospital, mm-hmm. Dr. Heichmann um, recommended me to somebody else to be my primary care physician. in the, And uh, he happened to be on the board of Cedars. Oh. So when things got, when push came to shove, I, I said, you know, Dr. Weinberg... <laughs> 
eh, this is what's happening, and things got better. Well, also, he had Berg at the end of his name, which I think is always a very positive <laughs> sign when it comes to being treated well with medical stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so you get out of the hospital. All right, so then for another four weeks, I've got this, I've, I've got this thing sticking out of my arm. I've, I'm taking... The tube is still there. The tube is still there. And genius that I am, with dragging my leg... I figured, all right, I'll take an ace bandage, I'll wrap this thing up, and I'll go on auditions. Oh, my God. So <laughs> you I were I was, showing up in waiting was, rooms. I was fooling them. <laughs> you, know. you were showing up in a waiting room full of men, ready to go in for a role, and you had a giant thing literally sticking well, out of your arm. No, well, I just had the tube. I would I would take the giant thing off, because I, I had to take it off anyway to, to So what did you do? Others. Did you feed the tube so, back up your shirt? <laughs> I'd stick the tube. I wrapped it in an ace bandage. And there, I was much more worried about the fact that I was limping. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, it, but, no, it's so funny you say that, because I feel like you never... Um, I think as a patient, once you start feeling a little bit healthy, it's like you want to jump right back into everything the way you could before. Absolutely. And you don't you don't want anyone to act like anything's different. It's like, no, 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 it's fine. It's over. It's over. And I did the same thing when I, I had to have a cyst removed from my wrist. And at the time, I had a bartending gig. And I was there, you know, three, four nights a week. And I had this, I had this surgery scheduled. And it was a planned surgery. It wasn't an emergency or anything. I'm like, yeah, it's just a little cyst. They're just going to sew it right back up and i'll go to work tomorrow no you you can't go to work at all the next day surgery is surgery hospital is hospital no matter what and you need time to like chill the hell out afterwards but i mean i could do anything you know uh, the thing is all my life i've been an incredibly physical person Mm -hmm. and you know even at that time i was 60 and I was, I was in, I was in, you know, I was working on my second black belt in martial arts. Wow. And I was fighting. I was, it was, you know, the, that MMA stuff that they, the, the, that was what we were, we were training in. And I was in class with 25 year olds, 20 year olds and so forth. And holding your own. And well, I taught them to fear age and treachery. Hell yeah. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> yes, how many times, did. I don't know how many times you hear one of them go, hey, you can't do that. That's <laughs> not fair. <laughs> you're like, let me tell you what's fair. <laughs> oh my gosh. So. I mean, and and like me, I mean, I've always also been very, very active. Absolutely. And I mean, I ran two marathons and, and people think you're kind of crazy. I think if you like that kind of extreme way of pushing your body. But if you're one of us and you enjoy pushing your body, being injured or sick is like the worst thing ever because you yeah. can't do any of that. Well, I plus, I, you know, I still get up every morning. I, uh, I shadow box and then uh, I use kettlebells and, you know, the whole. I in do, your apartment? In my apartment. Wow, that's amazing. How do you feel? So what did they say um, when you were leaving the hospital and they're basically saying, okay, so you did all this. You got through it. The nurse went. I want to hear all of it. Yeah, the nurse was like, get the hell out of here. I'm done with you. Um, Oh, no, I had to, I constantly, I had to go back every week to be blood tested and everything. This was an ongoing thing. Oh, yeah. Well, it was another four weeks. Yeah. And, um, you know, at, at one point, you know, and then I, I, I was, I was in the office of that same woman, the, you know, the, and she said, you're better. That's it. You're done. That's just, it's just one of those things. Yeah. Like, okay, it, you, yeah. you got through it. Right. Don't know why it happened, but now you're done. Mm-hmm. How did you grapple with 
that kind of emotional stuff afterwards? Like, did it hit you all at once at some point? Did it kind of just dissipate or you were just so relieved to be better and home? Or because I've found after certain things that I've been through, like certain surgeries leading up to it or afterwards, my emotional stuff kind of is delayed. Like, it's like my body wants me to just get through something and then I feel all the stuff later. No. That that wasn't, you know, you know, you, like everything else, it's, you know, you put, you know, you you have an opponent stands in front of you, you fight, and yep. you know, and you win or you lose, but you win. Yep. You know, and I won. Yes, you so did. Was, you know, that was during that period in my life, things got really rough because of other reasons. Yeah. You know, uh, my brother got killed in an automobile accident, and my mother fell and broke her hip, and you know, so I was dealing with all that stuff. I didn't have time to feel sorry for myself. Wow, and I mean. When those things kind of happen, it's like you're just in such a trauma mode, you know, mm-hmm. of like just get things taken care of, make sure everybody's okay. Absolutely. And I think you do, you go into like a very natural thing that is just uh, almost like a to-do list. And it's yeah. like, I just have to get through this list again today. And that's yeah. it, you know. But it's amazing because even though the three weeks, it, you, know, you lost all that weight and obviously your body went through so much to try to recover from this. And then the four weeks afterwards... Once you were finally done, yeah. what was like one of the first things that you had thought about doing and then did or that was like, I'm back? I don't know if we can say that over the radio. <laughs> <laughs> that's my guy. All right. All right. No, that's good. I mean, listen, when you, when you, I'm assuming I know what you're talking about. Um, there's a lot of things that physically you cannot do for a long time that you realize are stress relievers that you're like, oh, that would have been nice to be able to do that. Yeah. So. Mad respect. I get it. And what did they kind of tell you? Like, is this, is a staph infection the kind of thing that can just happen again or? Well, they, you know, uh, they said, you know, like, for example, always, always now you have to get a flu shot. Always. Because because your, your immune system, although they couldn't figure out why I was as, I was as good as I was. Like feeling as okay as you were. You know, by, by, by their lights, I should have been dead. Wow. So, you know, how I made it, they still don't know. Um, I, I get flu shots. I get, uh, you know, I do uh, some supplement work. I do a lot of zinc. I do a lot of, but, you know, nothing nothing uh, extraordinary. You know, it's just. Uh, Have you ever I've had, been, like, fear that it's going to come back again? Or you just don't think about it because it's over? I it. no. And, I mean, that's the healthy thing. Why would you all the well, time? But. You know, I I think some people are very traumatized when they go through something like that, that they're afraid they're going to have to face it again. And I think sometimes it's easier for your brain and your emotional everything to just try to forget about it. Well, you know, the the deal is I've been fighting all my life. Yeah. You know, I grew up in a tough neighborhood in Chicago, South, you know, uh, you know, was in a gang, did all of that sort of stuff when I was a kid. And, you know, fighting is is second nature, you know, and when I, although I wasn't a great fighter, you know, my boxing coach. Uh, begged me to take up swimming. I was what? I was I was six foot three, weighed one hundred and thirty five pounds. Oh my gosh, and, that's know, far which, too small. Which, which which you know where I grew up, you might as well have written torture me on your forehead. Yeah, of course. And so I went to the Y to learn to box, and I did. And uh, but yeah, and then by the that was when I was a freshman in high school. By the time I was a junior, I was six six and weighed two hundred and twenty, and things were different. Wait, so within how much time did that happen that you gained that much weight and got taller? A year and a half. 
that's insane. Your body must have been in so much pain. Were you in to- so much pain as you were growing? Because uh, I remember that. Do yeah. you remember gr- growing pains? Like, they're real. Yeah, but, you know. Ugh. I'm only 5'3", so I only had them for about 45 minutes. But <laughs> you had a year's worth. <laughs> 6'9". Incredible. Yeah. I mean, have you ever thought since your experience, especially with the bed, because a hospital bed, very much, I've, I've been in one overnight, like in, in the ER. I had to be in the ER overnight one time, mm-hmm. and they never moved me, so, uh, like, from the ER room, and they normally try to do that, like, ICU or wherever, they find that other place for you, and there's usually more than just, like, the gurney bed. It's yeah. a little bit more comfortable, um, but they never moved me or changed out the bed, and I was ex- extremely uncomfortable in it, and yeah, I'm 5'3", yeah. um, so I can't imagine at your height and weight how, how much pressure, and then, of course, well, your back had a spasm kind of thing that's where nurse ratchet and i bumped heads again and again well yeah and my question is have you ever thought about trying to advocate advocate for a different type of bed for hospitals or has there anything been done in terms of there's so like especially because of the obesity crisis in in our country i would imagine no that there's something Um, out there or there should be but you know there was they had this this thing that they added to the bed that made it okay so they have it it's just a question do will they use it they have options to make them more comfortable for various body types right but is it like to the degree of someone who should be able to be very comfortable especially in they're they're there for a medical treatment of some kind they're already uncomfortable yeah like the bed should be appropriate for your size it should be, but you know, I've lived in a world where nothing is appropriate for my size. You know. Yeah, but um, it, and I think that makes me want to like. I literally want to call Cedars and like find out who mm-hmm. is the patient advocate mm-hmm. to ask about mm-hmm. what kind of options they have now. You yeah, know, right now I've got you know, right now I've got a uh, I've got a beef with the chairs and the coffee bean because they you know they don't fit me. Yeah, they redid the inside of our coffee bean, and mm-hmm. it does look different. I only popped mm-hmm. in there just a moment because now we're not close by enough. That's why I don't get to see you as mm-hmm. much, but. It uh, it's very dark in there now too. They like added darkness to the walls or something. Uh, yeah, it's like an aesthetic yeah. choice, but eh, I don't know. I don't know. You know. Guys, be careful because that big Starbucks opened across the street and it looks like they have a lot of seating. There, in there. are five coffee shops in one block. In one block, I know. Los Feliz yeah. is the, out of control with coffee right now. Yeah, the, the, they have been. Why did they add the Starbucks? I don't know. Because the blue bottle just opened up right there too. Right. Ridiculous. Yeah. So when you were in the hospital as a coffee drinker, I'm curious. Did you drink coffee? Oh yeah. Really? Yeah. Like I said, my diet wasn't, you know... Uh, so they gave you coffee even when you were in the hospital bed? Absolutely. I wasn't sure if they even allow for that kind of thing because it's a stimulant. Mm-hmm. If it, when you're hooked up to so many medications and stuff, if they'd allow for that. But if you don't have that, then you get your mm-hmm. insane withdrawal headache. In addition to which, <laughs> my buddy Matt would go over to Jerry's and sneak in pastrami all the time. Yes. So, you know. Oh, my gosh. That is actually great a great thing of advice that if you have someone coming to visit you, if you have to stay in the hospital for an extended period of time, always to bring some kind of food. Unless it's like your stomach, that's the issue. But now when it comes to like physical stuff, so you get your flu shot all the time. Right. When you, have you had any kind of other major like illness since that got as scary or as dicey as that one? Nothing. uh, You know, I've got a... 
a stomach thing that I have to take this junk for, but that. Uh, but that's manageable. Manageable, you know, not. Uh, and then you got your just aches and pains from being an athlete forever. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, like I said, that doesn't stop me from working out every day. No, which is yeah. incredible because working out every day probably keeps you much healthier. Absolutely. And keeps your body yeah. like in right. the form that you can uh, do yeah. what you need to do. The, the only, my only really regret is that I can't take the pounding like I used to, so I don't go in and fight anymore. Yeah. You know. Well, it's pounding of any kind on your joints is just so bad for you in the long run. Like, I was a gymnast until I was about nine. And uh, I think about even just the pain I remember feeling landing sometimes then, let alone how much it would hurt now. So I think it's probably way better. You don't actually fight anybody. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean you can't go and box, right? Like, you can still spar and stuff, but just not actual hitting. Well... Yeah, but that's 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 no fun. fun. <laughs> You're like, I want to knock somebody yeah. out. <laughs> that <laughs> so that so twenty five year year old symbolically is the casting director who you know talks on a phone during my audition oh, or God. you know for there the and I'm sure we're gonna answer have the phone calls. A lot of that's, people. That's what the martial arts was for. So one of the things that I found is like the hardest for me to overcome when ever I'm sick or injured or especially when I've been stuck in the hospital. It's the not being able to be like physically expend energy that will help me emotionally deal with everything. Absolutely. Right? Because there's just, there's literally nothing really that you are allowed to do in those circumstances. You're either, you know, you're hooked up to an IV and yes, you can like walk with the IV, you know, when they put it on the um, the pole and everything. Uh-huh. But it's not like you're getting, you're not getting the fresh air if you like to work out outside. You're not actually expending and sweating the way that, you know, that emotionally. You're preaching preaching to the choir. Yeah, pushes it all out of you. So I just wonder, like, when you, um, as you were recovering, when you were stuck and any of the times or even now, really, that you're not like full in a boxing ring and getting to actually like, you know, fight or your martial arts stuff and like actually having a fight with someone. Is there anything that's not physical that kind of helps you to relieve some of the tension or stress in those scenarios? Like, like you know, for example, a show or a book or like, are you able to read or listen to music or anything that helps you adapt? Like when you were stuck, what well, did you do? Once or twice a week, I, go, I, I you know, I, I'm a firm believer in in acting class. I go to class and I work on scenes and I do, you know, and I've been doing that, you know. When I was in New York and I was on Broadway, I was I was taking Freddie Kierman's Meissner class, you know. It's just, um, and that's a that's a, a tension reliever. And of course, work, of course, is a great tension reliever. Well, it know? sounds like yeah. So work yeah. in general is just really yeah. like good for you in yeah. terms of letting that stuff go. Right. Yeah, I think I find that too. I feel like uh, it's it's so hard to to find the things that will help. And what I've noticed is I've talked to a couple people who also, when you're kind of in that mindset, like I kind of I can't read a book because I can't completely focus. Somehow I I get distracted constantly by myself or like my situation when I'm watching something. I think also because I'm an actor. I lose myself in the story and I and I watch the story and I let that affect me and so I I find that when I'm sick or um or injured I always put on either a show that I know really well that feels like 
these characters are my friends and this is my safe place and I get to just sit and observe them hanging out and doing their crazy things whatever show or movie it is but like visually watching something has always helped me oh yeah and uh, we also have a weekly poker game and oh and that's good so when you were in the hospital though you didn't get to go oh I know know. so did you play like solitaire on your phone or anything like no no nothing you know at that point I was pretty much you know, wrecked and concentrating on getting the hell out of there. Of That's course, it. of course. Were you sleeping a lot when you're in the hospital? No. In fact, they they used to have to give me uh, what do they call those things? Ambience. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. some people, uh, you know, can sleep well, and or if they're medicated and stuff, yeah. they're just out. But you got to remember, I had the pain from the back. Exactly. So every you know, I you know, I I would. And the other thing was I was also popping Vicodin like it, they were peanuts. <laughs> of course. You know? well, especially, well, especially with my body. I'm going to, you know? yeah, I was going to say. Gotta, you know, uh, I don't know how many times I've had like dental things or so forth. And they said, well, we'll give you um, codeine. I said, well, you might as well give me peanuts. Yup. Because, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I have to take, um, you know, well, they say, well, take one every every four hours I take two every four hours yeah and that's something that were you nervous at all the first time you remember doing that no no because you kind of knew you're like I know my body better than you guys do well plus the fact you know when when I I went to law school in the in the late 60s early 70s what I didn't know you went to law school oh yeah I used to be a lawyer okay so you got a black belt you used to be a lawyer you've been on Broadway you laid on the floor in a hospital yeah I'm impressed by all these things continue please but um (laughs) Let's say that uh, when I was when I, I graduated sixth in my class, and I was on excessive amounts of recreational drugs. Hey now, uh, I was I was big into what they used to call psychedelics. Ooh, you know, acid, mescaline. You know, not mescaline on. greens though, the other kind. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, well, good for you. You know, and uh, so you know, and and then one day I just you know I quit and I, I never did it again. But uh, you know, so I know you know I, my body has a very thank God because I probably again should be dead. Yeah, uh, yeah, you, you know. probably would have OD'd had you not been six nine all those times. Yeah. So you know, I I took all that stuff. Uh, but know. so medication wise, in terms of pain and stuff. Has it always been a problem trying to get something that actually works? It is. Yeah. It is. Like I said, if they when they they keep trying to they they tell me to get codeine and you know and I, oh I it's have bullshit to, to convince him that you know um, or uh, Norco might as well be drinking water. Yeah. Like I don't understand. Some people are very respond like respond very very easily and well to that, and it like takes away all their pain. It's never worked for me. Yeah. It really doesn't. I can, I can remember a time I went in for emergency dental surgery. I had an abscess in the middle of the night, you know, <gasps> you know I go into the emergency and emergency dental surgery and the guy screwed up. Oh gosh. And he gave me the Novocaine, but he didn't give it to me far enough. Oh and my God. That's literally the nightmare. When they opened up the tooth and poured in the bleach to, you know, st- oh. I shot out of the chair. I, oh. I put one hand under his arm and I had him by, I had him by the collar and I picked him up, <gasps> and, you know, with the <gasps> dental dam. And I was going, <laughs> and I, I will give him this. He, he was very calm. He went, if you will put me down. I'll give you a shot of Demerol. <laughs> uh, 
Let me guess. You put him right I down. Put him down. <laughs> How big was the doctor? Maybe about six one. Grown man. Yeah. He's a grown man. Oh my god. Oh my god. Did you pass out from the Demerol and the no. and the pain from that? No. No, no. In fact I, I felt pretty mellow. Oh nice. Demerol. Alright, so we know Demerol's a good one for Demerol's you. A good one. Oh my gosh. So and how did how did that come about? The the emergency dental thing? Well, because I woke up in the middle of the night and I was dying. You know, the pain was so bad. From I completely got, I, out of nowhere. I got in the car and drove to the emergency room, and they had a they had a dentist. And so, you know, that was it. That was where we, you know. But I've done that a number of times. When I was in New York, um, what was it? Uh, well, seven eight years ago, okay. I went to New York to uh, audition for theater. Mm-hmm. And that's where I booked that uh, Midsummer, the National Shakespeare Company. All oh of that, yes. You know. But. Um, I'm laying in bed at, at about, I, I had a little sublet in Harlem, and I lay, I'm laying in bed at about 2.30 in the morning, and I, oh boy, that feels odd. And then the pain really started, and it got so bad that uh, I, packed a, I packed a backpack with underwear and so forth. I walked, this is 3 o'clock in the morning, I walked down to the, the top of Central Park, I caught a cab, took it down to NYU Hospital. Wow. And... Um, it turned out that it was there were it, I, emergency gallbladder surgery, and they had to remove everything. And, what? and you know, and uh, you know, I was in horrible pain until they gave me the Demerol. Oh, so that Demerol came in handy again. Yes, so yes, gallbladder, what kind of pain is that? When well, it, it, it started, it's, it's very sharp, and it's like you know, uh, the gallbladder is where your kidney is. You get that, that it's a very sharp pain in your back, incredibly intense. Oh my gosh, and it was very different from yeah. any other kind of back yeah. pain you'd felt before. Like, and, you could tell it was something oh, different. No, no, this was internal pain. This so, was internal yes, you shooting tell. pain. There was, you know, like somebody had taken a knife and was stabbing you in the kidney. Oh and, my god, and you know, like I said, I basically. Like I said, I had to walk down to Central Park and walk down to... to, uh, Fucking uh, New York, man. Fifth Avenue. And then, you know, and at 3 o'clock, you know, hailing a cab at the top of Central Park at (laughs) 3 o'clock in the morning when you look like me, sometimes they don't stop. Oh, guys, why didn't you stop? (laughs) Wow. That must have been really scary. I mean, just not knowing where that pain is coming from, I think, is always yeah. just the most awful thing. So so how long does it take for the Demerol to kick in? Like, once they gave it to you? Minutes, That's it? Minutes, yeah. That's got to be such a relief after that much pain. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. So did you wake up, feel the pain, and go try to go back to sleep? Or did you get up right away and go, something is off, I got to go? Um, I, I laid there for about... 20 minutes until I realized something was really off. Well, that's not too long. Some people would have waited way longer, I think. And I think that's the good thing is like if your instincts have always been like something's Mm -hmm. really off, just get up and figure it out. I think if you're a lemon, you just do that because you also know it could be a billion different things. But, you know, you get up and, you know, whatever whatever you have to do, you do. You take care of it and you Mm -hmm. win. And that's what I did. It's a far more terrifying situation when you've ignored something for a long time Mm -hmm. and then something happens. It's always the worst thing to do. It's not a smart idea so what about today like today you're feeling okay and in terms of like you know the kind of medication and stuff you were on before like that all ended with the staph infection it all ended with the gallbladder and wow so any other point i would like to put in a big plug for the screen actors guild health insurance wow okay okay you know had i not had it i 
I would be a pauper right now. Oh my because, gosh! You know, my bill for the you know my bill at, at Cedars was two hundred thousand dollars. Wow. And my bill in New York was over $100,000. So, you know, all that, you know. And with we, insurance, with you insurance, were able to have so. most of that covered? Um, the $200,000, I, I, I had to pay 200 out of pocket, $200. That's incredible. Yeah. You know, so when, when I know a lot of us bitch about, you know, how much insurance costs, well, you know. If you're one of us, you need to have it, bottom line. Absolutely. I think, yeah, I think, of course, I'm very grateful for my insurance. I think my issue is I have so many specific complaints about how a lot of things are handled or done. Mm -hmm. And I just wish that there was a way or a better way for um, patients to be heard in terms of like, hey, I just went through this and I would suggest for the next time, like this would have been great. So is there anything, obviously, I think the bed is a really big, uh, really smart thing you know, uh, topic because that's something that as of right now, there's really not a whole lot you can do or that we really know of. But I wonder if there are more ways of, um, of getting, uh, like a proper bed for your shape and size that feel supportive and comfortable. Well, you know, I, the first thing I did once I had gotten the pain under, you know, in New York, which was years after Mm -hmm. I asked for, you know, somebody to make sure that the bed was, and they got, they got, they had the little thing and they brought it in and everything was fine. So so. they did have that extra piece there too. Too. Yeah, so I, you oh, know, that's great. I, yeah. That's really good. You just have to know to ask for it. Exactly. So, so the problem really is education. Mm-hmm. You know, the general public needs to be educated, or, or or people of size, or people of you know physic of a certain physicality need to be educated that those things do exist, and mo- and you know and most really good hospitals have them. Yeah, which is really good to know. Yeah. Um, that you can just go in and ask for them. Right. If there was anything else that could have like enhanced your experience to make it more comfortable, like things that I've thought about, if I could have my ideal waiting room for all those follow up visits I always have to make for my various things, like what would my ideal doctor's office waiting room look like what would yours look like it'd be filled with cute nurses (laughs) so that's one thing (laughs) who would would pay attention to me yep um i would love there to be like a big a big tv on one wall that uh did not have like cnn only or msnbc only on and also Something aside from those awful like nature videos that just loop for hours. Well, you mean like the fish in the tank? The fish in the tank one. <laughs> or sea, the birds, seabirds at the shore. The seabirds at the shore. I feel like so many doctors' offices have this same DVD or something. I really get into those. You do you see? And maybe everybody gets. <laughs> everyone has their own take. But I just wonder. I'm like, couldn't you have like stand up or just some, something that's on that's like going to always do something positive for everybody i don't know um yeah but i've noticed recently that people are uh, most of the, half the people in there are on their iphones anyway it's very true yeah are you on your iphone when you're in a waiting room nah. are you watching everybody mm, uh, I, yeah you're an actor of course you are you're yeah. like taking in everybody a little bit i bet is there any one doctor that was like mo- most amazing that if you had to refer anyone to have their gallbladder well, emergency pretty, removed? I'm pretty biased about, you know, <laughs> although he's not practicing medicine anymore, Dr. Heikman, the guy who diagnosed me immediately with a staph infection, that if I'd waited another 24 hours, I would have been dead. He pretty much is my favorite. Hell uh, yeah. 
Shout out to Dr. Heikman. <laughs> Thank you for being amazing. Is there anything, you know, else that kind of stands out that like as a patient talking to other people who have dealt with medical stuff that are like little tidbits you've learned throughout that you would recommend? Well, in a related field, um, for the last four years of her life, I was the sole caretaker for my mother. And I used to have to battle the nursing staff mm-hmm. to, you know, get make sure that, you know, that... Um, and it wasn't the the nurses themselves. It's the nurses' assistants who they pay nothing. Mm-hmm. And they're the people who, you know, when you need the bedpan, are supposed to bring it and so forth. And that's where the lapse is. Yeah, I agree. You know? And so, um, you know, and the, the nursing staff, when my mother was in the hospital, hated me because I never let, I, I never let anything go. Be the hated one, though. That's okay. Be yeah. the hated one. Oh, the hated one gets things done. The hated yeah. one, the one that they're annoyed by, who's always talking and always asking them for things, is the one who is actively making sure that their person is actually getting taken care of. And that's exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. Well, A, you're a wonderful man. Thank you for taking care of your mom like that. I'm sure that that meant so much to her. And what an incredible thing to do. It's what you do. It's what you do, of course. But not everybody does. So I'm saying good yeah. man, good human right here. Um, but also, I think it's such a good point. Like, be always have, if you can, an advocate there with you, if possible, not even just for support, but to make sure the, that the staff is paying attention. That's true. And not because they're trying not to or they don't they don't care if you're okay. I mean, at the end of the day, they're so used to this. This is what they deal with all the time. And there's always human error that when my mom was in the hospital for about 12 days, my sister was her advocate and was screaming down the hallway for nurses. Like they just, you know, they weren't on top of the pain medication or this needed to happen or what have you. And it it took my sister, the one who was healthy and had energy, to go into the hallway to say, I need you right now. She's pressed this button for 30 minutes and no one's here. What's going on? And it's not being awful. It's just being firm and yep. saying, you're not a bad person, but I know that this needs to be done and it hasn't been done. So let's get it done. Yep. And I think it's a really good thing to know about, though. Like, yep. be an asshole as much yep. as you can. Be I've respectful. No exactly. <laughs> well, I know you don't. But like, yeah, it's a good thing to know. You know, I mean, saying what you need and speaking up for what you need or what your family member or loved one needs is not being abrasive or rude or bitchy. It's getting them taken care of appropriately. Right. So just be nice, but also... Well, I mean, I'm so glad that you're feeling good these days, too. I mean, that's fantastic. Is there anything else that you attribute to, like, your good overall health? What they call intermittent fasting. I eat two, two decent, really good meals in an eight-hour window, mm-hmm. and then for 16 hours a day, I don't eat. Wow, and I, and I have it has I I have taken my weight down from three hundred and eighteen pounds to two seventy. Wow, and kept it good there. for you. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Who Google it. Told Intermittent you to do that. fasting. It'll come up, and you know it's it, it's quite fatty right now. Okay, but uh, for me, it works. That's know. fantastic. And is it something that someone like recommended to do, or you did research on your own? I did it feels like it works for you. Own. Yeah. Wow. I don't know if I could fast for 16 hours like every day. Well, here's the deal, though. You know, like I, it's like tri-tip and, and kale salad and, and Damn. Uh, you know, beans or whatever, you know. And then the second meal, the same types of foods at uh, at 7 o'clock. The only thing is I don't eat between meals and I don't, uh, and I don't snack. Wow. And, I, and then I, you know, uh, but h- half of that 16 hours you're asleep. 
True. Hopefully. Yeah. Well, you yeah. know, so... Um, it, was yeah. it hard at first to do that? No. Like, to get used to it? No. No? That's amazing. I think it would take me a while, like, to adapt. Like, I've done um, cleanse kind of things before. Only this one time did I do it where for five days I didn't actually chew food. And that was hard. But it was more that, like, the timing and getting used, my body used to that, to not crave things. And then during the week I ate nothing white. I ate no bread, no rice, no pasta, no potatoes. Um, Ooh. And then I have a cheat day on Saturday in which I eat, you know, sugar and French fries and So you allow yourself that. Of course. That's great. But I keep it in those same two meals. Yeah. Okay, so you keep the structure the same, but what you're eating is like more your, you know, your cheat stuff and your comfort stuff. And that's... I'm, I'm currently 274 today. See, that's really hard to do, the maintaining. And so technically... You're a miracle, Herschel, basically. Yeah, pretty much. You know, it's like I, 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 you say miracle, I say too stupid to die. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Herschel, for being here. I appreciate it. And to everybody else out there, stay healthy.